still, there is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing. His arms a fortress for the weak. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You Let faith arise. Let faith arise. 
Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. You can remain standing if you're already standing. We're about to enter into worship together.
please greet those around you. Students are dismissed at this time. Well, hey, good morning. Glad you are here in worship. We welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he has said that we're two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is there among them. And so uh, you're in the right place on this cold winter day. It's dropping down into the 70s. I mean, I don't know. It's scary. Uh, but you know what? We have been praying here all week that there would be no rain on Tuesday. And have you noticed there's a little window a little window opened up on Tuesday when there's no rain, so we're, we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is, if you have one of these, uh, tear this off like this, and you can let us know who you are, and we can put you on uh, our uh, email list. We sent out a thing called Read, Think, Pray every week. It'll give you a heads up where we're going on the sermon on Sunday. It'll also give you a weekly email giving you all kinds of information. Uh, I'm not going to belabor um, announcements as much as saying... Go to the website. We constantly update it, and you get all kinds of information about what we believe, why we believe it, what we do, and why we do it. Uh, and so we're, we're a, an intergenerational family, a family of families here, which means there are no normal people in our church. God bless you. Uh, so um, the big announcement that I want to give you is that this Tuesday, as you know, is Christmas Eve. And we're, we're doing one service in three venues. Uh, lots of years we've, we've been in the problem of it's just been out of control, too many people. So we've gone to the hotel, the Hyatt uh, Aventine, and, and uh, they charge us. The first time it was awesome. The second time it was crazy expensive. So we're back here. One service, three venues. So we don't have an overflow. We have three venues. And any of the venues that you come to on Tuesday night, you will love. And one of them is outside. And uh, create a whole cafe out there. And we have another venue adjacent, and this one. So 4:30, we, we assume you should get here. Uh, the service is at five, from five to six. But get here at 4:30 because we'll have carolers out uh, on the patio. We'll have hot chocolate, uh, tea, coffee, and all kinds of good treats. And you get to enjoy some of the music out there. So uh, that's that's the big announcement. Uh, we're finishing up our Advent series after. Uh, 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 at the end of this week. So today we're delighted to have Dave Thompson uh, preaching, and uh, he'll be signing autographs afterwards if you want to stick around, <laughs> if you can get through, if you can get through to him. But uh, Dave did a phenomenal job um, preaching uh, this last service. And so we're going to wrap up this service about the Advent uh, next week, talking about Joseph and Mary. And then in, in the first week of January, we launch into a new series called What's New? So that's where we're going. Uh, the most important thing is that you're here, and we're here in the presence of God together. And we're, we're asking the question, why Advent? Why do we still pay attention to Advent? Why do we still anticipate to celebrate Jesus' birth? And you're in for a treat uh, to hear David talk about that. So uh, with that, I want to ask Jeff to come on up and lead us in prayer. morning, everyone. 
let's go ahead and bow our heads and say a, say a prayer to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, as, as we excitedly and anxiously await the celebration of your son's birth, with only a few more days to go, Lord, we, we come to you with our hearts full of love and our minds full of prayer so that we may be focused on you, Lord. Of course, we acknowledge the fun of hanging stockings and Christmas lights, putting up the, putting up the tree, and perhaps, perhaps even singing carols, but we concentrate, we focus, we realize that that is all amazingly wonderful, but not in any way, in even the same context, the same league, as how wonderful your love is for us, your children. And Heavenly Father, as we do recognize this love of yours, we ask you, we ask you to comfort our hearts as so many of us has, have things that concern us, which we only share with you. Our relationship with you, Lord, is it's far greater than any relationship we have ever experienced. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we thank you. That in life, when times get tough and the two sets of footprints in the sand turn to one, that it's not us walking alone, but you carrying us. Lord, we come together as one church also, also to ask you to watch over so many people during this birthday season of your son that are mourning the loss of a loved one, or perhaps are separated from their families, such as our military members, my buddies overseas or here who are helping to provide the blanket of security for us all here back at home. May you, O oh Heavenly Father, comfort those families and let them know that you hold them in the palm of your hand. Also, dear Lord, as we gather as one body, we ask you to look after our brothers and sisters that don't have the warmth or comfort of shelter to even call their home. With the evenings getting colder and the nights longer, please keep them safe and let your light shine down upon them. And again, Lord, thank you for all that you've bestowed upon us and empower us as we look to the new year to be a vessel of light that might shine brightly to help others find your glory and guide them to your love. We pray this, dear Lord, in your awesome, amazingly awesome name. Amen. Uh, well, it's good to be here uh, with you again, round two. Uh, I didn't get booed off stage the first time, so I'm coming up here again, uh, which is great. Uh, as I begin, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, your smartphones, your tablets, your smartwatches, whatever technology you have that you have the Bible on, and uh, open with me to the book of 2 Samuel. And uh, we're going to dive in, uh, and I'm excited. And as we do that, um, I just want to, once again, uh, not that Jeff's prayer wasn't good enough, um, but I just want to, as we approach the Word of God together, uh, just once more, maybe this is more for me than you, uh, come before our great God again in prayer. So would you bow your heads with me once more? Uh, Heavenly Father, we come and we open up the scriptures which we know that you have inspired and you've put together. You have breathed these words on this page uh, for us that we learn, that we grow in our faith, our love, our knowledge of you. 
I pray that as we spend this time together this morning, uh, that you would meet us where we are, that you would speak your truth into our hearts and into our minds, that we would see a change, we would see encouragement, we would find peace. Father, no matter how much time I spend in study and preparation, I always want to allow room for your spirit to do what it wants to do. And so if there is anything that uh, I would say that you want me to withhold, would you hold my tongue? If there's something you want me to say, would you recall it to my mind? I simply want to be a servant of you as uh, I speak your message this morning. So meet us here in this time, and uh, we're thankful for it as we know that so many people across the world cannot speak the name of Jesus as freely as we can. Don't have a place where they can go and they can meet as freely as we have come to this place today. So we do not want to take the time in opening the scriptures, gathering together the laughter, the fun, the celebration, the prayer, the reading. We do not want to take that for granted. We acknowledge that you are allowing us in this moment to be able to do this, and we're grateful and we are blessed. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I want to get into it, and uh, I love 2 Samuel because I get the chance right now uh, to talk about myself in a third person all the time, uh, so when I say David, it's fine because you think about yourself uh, at the same time. I don't know a lot of people that name their kids Bathsheba or Uriah, but I know a lot of people that name their kids David, so uh, I'm excited, but more importantly, this is a great story as we are preparing for Advent. And we've taken these past several weeks, uh, as Pastor Steve has talked about the life of Moses and Joseph, and now we get to talk about King David and what God did in his life that we would look and we would say, oh man, he rightly deserved this, but here's what God did. So I'm going to take us, we're going to lift the plane, we're going to go 30,000 feet in the air because this story, there's a lot to it. Uh, we don't have the time to cover everything. So I encourage you this week, spend some time, open your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, read it more in depth. So again, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive, in-depth study on this, but what I do want to talk about, we need to understand this context first before we talk about really what the core of this message is, and that is when David repented, God restored. So that's where we're going. So let me just kind of back us up a little bit, and let's talk about this. So this is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, and it opens with this. In the spring, at the time, notice this, when kings went off to war, David sent Joab, and look at the end of verse 1, David remained in Jerusalem. So mess up number one, okay? And let me just go from here. A series of events took place then that really led to this probably most famous story that we all know, the sin of David and Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. So when the kings were to go off to war, David remained behind. And what does he do next? Scripture points out that he went on his rooftop, probably gazing at the stars, looking around, all of a sudden looks down and sees Bathsheba, not just hanging out, but she's bathing. And he looks upon her and he says, wow, she looks really good. We're going to keep this PG. She looks really good on that roof. I want to know her. So he sends one of his servants to inquire who this is. The servant comes back and says, whoa, isn't that Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who's in your army. So you think that there would be a moment where he'd probably pause and say, yeah, I should probably just kind of stop right here. Nope. Continues on. Sends uh, for her. 
She comes, they sleep together, she goes home, comes back, again, this is like the 30,000 foot view, comes back and says, hey, by the way, do you remember that time we were together? I'm pregnant. Okay, what do you do with that? You think there would be a moment where David would say, hmm, I should probably confess this, get right with the people, share what I have done, not hide this. Nope, continues on. Calls for Uriah, Uriah comes uh, and says, hey, listen, you know what, you've been working hard for me. Uh, why don't you just take some time off, go spend some time with your wife, uh, enjoy the time, and then, you know, we'll get together after. Well, what does Uriah do? Instead of going home to his wife, he goes to the front lines where his men are sleeping, and he says, you know what, um, I'm going to be with you guys. David finds this out and probably became a little frustrated. So why, why didn't you go home to your wife? Well, I'm not going to leave my men out in the cold lying at the gates without me. I'm a leader. So you think again that David would pause and say, all right, I cannot win. God, you win. I'm going to deal with this. And again, doesn't get it, calls for him again, gets him drunk, wants to send him home. What does he do again? He goes to spend time with his men at the gates instead of going home. And so David resorts to the only thing that he can do, confession. No. Calls Joab and says, listen, I want you to find the most uh, a hot area in the battle the fiercest battle that is taking place. I don't want you to send men there, and I want you to fight. But here's what I want you to do. Conspires with Joab to send Uriah out. And when the battle takes place, pull our men back, leave Uriah there that he might be killed. Have you ever kind of wondered, like, this is in the Bible, right? Like, this is kind of intense. And you think at that moment, David would have realized the weight of the sin that he had just committed. Not only has he broken the commandment of adultery, but now he's committed murder. He's coveted another man's wife. I mean, just break after break after break. And he continues on in this deceit and in this lying and in this uh, um, a sin that he is living in. Now, fast forward a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean this didn't take place a week after this happened. This took place about a year after all of these events had taken place. Now some would probably say, well, where was God in this year? That's a long time that David got away with this. And, and God should have got him. You know, well, <clears throat> as we'll get to soon, probably God should have gotten us in some of our sin a lot earlier than he did. But God, is, God had a plan, God had a purpose, and was going to meet David in the very time that he had appointed. You ever know a good storyteller? You probably automatically thought of Pastor Steve tells wonderful stories. You listen to him for hours. So the prophet Nathan in David's kingdom comes and he is an incredible storyteller. And he is about to tell this amazing story to David. And I can imagine when he's coming in, he's like, oh, guys, gather around. This is going to be really good. Nathan's going to tell us something, and you're going to want to hear this. Grab the Twizzlers. Grab the Sprite. Let's sit down. Let's sit. I love Twizzlers and Sprite. I know. Complete health meal, I know. But uh, and he says, hey, let's sit down and let's listen to this story. And so Nathan begins to tell this incredible story. He says, you know, David, there were, two, there were two men. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man had an abundance of cattle and sheep. I mean, as far as you could see, was wealthy. 
And the poor man had but one little lamb. He loved this lamb. This lamb ate at his table, out of his bowl, and drank from his cup, and slept in the bed with him. It was raised as if one of his own children. Then there was a traveler who came, approached the rich man, and the rich man, instead of looking at the abundance of flock that he had to say, well, let's slaughter this one for a meal, refuses to do so, looks at the poor man and says, let's take that one, that one will do, to slaughter that for the meal. Now go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and look at the response in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now could you imagine, this is King David. Like, let's pause for a minute. This is the man who God had appointed years before that would be the future king of Israel. This is the young boy, David, who one day went out to the Philistine where the army was taking place, and there was Goliath. And when no one else would go into that battle and face this giant, David's looking around saying, I'll go. I've got the faith. I've got the courage to go and face this giant. No, king, I don't need all of your armor. I'm just going to go. I'm going to find some stones. I'm going to take my slingshot. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be looking up, and then I'm going to take him down because God is with us. This is King David who, as it says in 1 Samuel 17, killed a lion and a bear. I'm good with going to the zoo and looking behind the glass at the lions and the bears. There's no way I'm going to jump in there and say, I'm going to take you down. That's foolish. But this is David. God was with him. Killed a lion and a bear. This is David who triumphs in battle and sets up the holy city of Jerusalem. And this is King David who received a covenant from the Lord by Nathan just Prior to all of this, this is David. This also is David. This is the David that became somewhat okay with the sin in his life. I'm sure like many of us, this was the same David who looked around and said, well, my sin's not as bad as that person. I'm not as guilty as that person. Does that sound like anybody? You have the righteous King David. Then you have the sinful, wicked King David. But you know what the joy is? The same God we love today loved both of those King Davids, but had to deal with them in two very different ways. I love what the scripture says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
And I always like to think when these stories that we have the main character, King David, right? Like he's the guy we're talking about. But I always love these other, I'm just going to call them characters for the sake of it, all these other men and women in the scriptures that surround this main character because there's something fascinating about that. Could you imagine being Nathan for a minute? right? God says, hey, I want you to go to the king, and I want you to call him out. I want you to confront him. I want you to point out his sin. Now, this is scary. I'm not going to talk politics. But could you imagine going to the president of the United States and calling out the sin in this leader? That would be kind of what it's like for Nathan to go. Now, there was a trusted relationship, but nonetheless, you're going to the king, the high authority, and saying, hey, you are guilty. And God is going to deal with you. Could you imagine that? Nathan tells the story. And look with me in verse 13. After Nathan continues to tell all of the things that were going to happen through David's lineage in his heritage to come, and God dealt drastically with King David in all that were to come. And that's where it's so amazing that he's highlighted in the genealogy through Jesus Christ in Matthew 1 that David's highlighted. And again, what a need for a Savior when you really understand all that happened in David's life and all the things that happened in his family life for generations to come until Jesus. But Nathan comes, he calls him out, and he says these very words in this story, you are that man. You are the guilty one. Essentially, God has known, and he's known all along, you haven't hidden from him, but that man in the story that you said surely should die, have no pity on, hey, David, that's you. Now, imagine there's probably some nerves going on in his life, right? You're like, oh, man, this is some serious stuff. And again, so he tells them all the things that were to happen. Then it comes to chapter 12, verse 13. And this is the key to repentance right here as we're going to set up. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan, what you have just said, I am in 100% agreement. I have sinned against the Lord. Not I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my people. I have sinned against the one and holy God. And I can imagine that Nathan at that moment was like, hit the easy button. Whoo! Right? Could have sent me away. Like, have this man killed. David couldn't run anymore. In Psalm 32 we get this glimpse, and this might resonate with you, it resonates with me, of what these unconfessed sins in our life do. And this is David's cry. There's two psalms that are in response to Nathan and God dealing directly with David. And it's Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And I encourage you to spend time and read those. But let me just highlight what happened in David's life when he viewed God had called him out. Here's David's response to this. Psalm 32, verse 1, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Check this out. When I kept silent, when I hid those sins, when I didn't bring them out in the open, when I didn't deal with these, when I kept silent, my bones, they wasted away. Through my groaning all day long and for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. 
My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We're not in the heat of summer right now, but you get the idea. I am wiped out. I can't sleep. My mind won't turn off. I just, I ache. There's something in me that just won't let me be. And here's the truth, my friends, is that sin will never let you be satisfied. Sin will never let you be complacent. And you know what I mean by that. I speak from that uh, of my own life. When I'm in sin, it is always here. And it's always here. You know it. Maybe that's the fear of doing the right thing because, well, you know, um, you feel guilty. Maybe that's not sharing your faith with other people because, well, you know, man, I, I just don't feel like I'm in the right place with God right now. Maybe the prayer life suffers because, well, man, how can I really come before a God and I mean, think about this. For a year, David lived with this context that we talked about this morning of taking another man's wife, impregnating her, killing, murdering, coveting, lying, deceit. I mean, this is King David. Again, a man who God said, a man after my own heart. I mean, we kind of struggle with this tension between Scripture. Well, how can he be that? But how can he be this? Because he is human and fallen just like the rest of us. But the one thing about God is his plans are never thwarted. One thing about God, and, and you know this from your own story as much as I know this about my own story and the sinful nature and life that I have lived and that I continue to fight against until the day I depart and I am with him, that God still uses imperfect people for his perfect and glorious and magnificent purposes. And I kept silent are you in a season of silence right now? Are you in a season of groaning? I mean, we don't really pray like David cried. And I love David in, in so many of these psalms. And even later on in one of the psalms, he says, you know, God, search me, know me, try me, see if there is any wickedness, any offense in, in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The same psalmist who cried out and said, man, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the heights, well, you're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. You are ever with me. We get really good in our own humanness to think that we're deceiving God and, well, he, he doesn't know about it. You know what I love about Scripture? Well, everything. But you know what I love about Scripture? Is God doesn't beat around the bush. He just kind of tells you what it is. I mean, he lit up one bush you just talked about, you know. Uh, but he tells us really how things are. He just tells the scripture, like, our, our lives, our hearts, our minds are just laid out like a deck of cards before the eyes of the Lord. In, in our own life, in much like David in this period, now we'll get to this period in a second, but we'll get to this period right now. In this season of his life, there was this, I kept silent. A season of guilt, a season of shame. <clears throat> I told the first service a, a story. It wasn't in my notes, but I want to add it again here because um, um, one person told me to, so I'm going to do it. 
When I was a high school pastor, I remember talking on this issue of repentance and forgiveness. And whenever you talk about this to a group of high school students, you just get a lot of blank stares, right? Because you guys remember junior high and high school? Whoo, there was a lot of confession time then. Uh, But I remember thinking, God, I need you to give me something because I'm getting a lot of blank stares. I felt really boring. I'm like, you know, there's nothing like public speaking when you got to look out at people's faces all the time when you're talking. Um, And I remember thinking, God, you've got to give me something. Like, what can I say that's really going to make a difference in his kid's life? That they're actually going to remember, right? Past video games, like, you know, but they're going to remember. So I remember standing much like this, and I was looking down, and I realized just then that in the room in which I was preaching, there was a giant spotlight that was coming down this way that was casting my shadow on the ground. And it just, it hit me in that moment. I'm like, cha-ching, God, thank you. I said, guys, Here's the problem with us, is we spend so much time in this sinful nature and in our flesh and in our humanity, lumped over, looking at our dark shadow on the ground, knowing that there is a light source that has to cast for the shadow to be there. And so we spend so much time focusing in on us rather than turning around and looking at the source of the light and being more enamored and infatuated and in love and in awe of the one who bears that light than my own sin. Too much time David had spent Then scripture says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David to say, enough. I'm not going to let you just live in that sin, in that guilt, in that shame any longer. It's time for you and I, David, to have a heart-to-heart conversation. Turn around and look at the light. Because you know what? The sins have been committed. There is nothing you can do to change that. You have obviously had enough time go by where you could have changed your heart at any time, but you know what? You don't have the power or the capacity to do so, but. You see buts in scripture, it's always amazing. It's either amazing or it's really bad. This one's amazing. God sent Nathan to David. Call him out to deal with him. To get David to a place where it was no longer this, I mean, I can't sleep, I can't think, I can't function, I can't do anything. It was on his knees before God saying, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, know, know what repentance is? It's that. And then it's getting back up. It's God, you are a 100% right. He is anyway. I think he just likes us to, to hear us say it. Like I like to hear my kids say, yeah, Dad, you're right. They don't say it much, but we do it. But God, sins which I have committed, I cannot pay for. I can't right the wrongs in which I have committed. I can't undo it. I can't change it. This is the David translation. But God, I know you can. And he confessed. And the Lord spared his life. But hardship would come because as we know, sin leaves those residual effects in our life. God can forgive the punishment. But their consequences are there and we have to deal with that. 
Instead of making a scale on, well, yeah, obviously David committed murder, had, had, uh, had an affair, had all these things happen, and, and sure, so that's probably going to be more on public display. He was the king, but in the same thing with us, my friends, mm. our sin is on display before the Lord, and he's going to deal with it. But you know what? Here's the joy. Before you feel like I'm just pounding you to the ground, okay? I want you to hear this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Jesus to us. Are you with me? The Lord sent Nathan to David to deal with the sin in his life, to deal with the things that he had done wrong, to right the wrongs and to say, David, you need to confess this and you need to get right with the Lord. You're running. You were in secret. Let's deal with this. It's okay. You know what? God brings forgiveness. I mean, it's one of the things I just... uh, um, isn't it amazing the grievances that we hold against one another? The unforgiveness that we'll hold against one another and we take these commands, forgive as I've forgiven you and, but well, I'm not gonna forgive so-and-so. The same God who has forgiven David is the same God who forgives us and gave us the amazing atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That for God so loved the world, right, that he gave. There was nothing I could offer and I could give. I mean, my sin in the amount of time that I have lived is a mountain just like yours is. And there is nothing that we can do to pay for that ourselves. But the Lord sent Jesus to fill your name in the blank. Psalm 32, verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't God good? I mean, this isn't a license, of course, and I feel like sometimes you gotta, you got to clarify, this is no license to just keep sinning because, well, God's forgiveness is there. In fact, Paul calls that out in Romans. He says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What does he say emphatically? No, certainly not. How dare you think that? Repentance, my friends, is this. If I could summarize it just to a simple blanket statement. It is a change of one's behavior in mind from where it used to be. It is saying, I used to look at the sin. I was gratified in this. And for David, it was, I took, I took, I took. I realized it was wrong. Now, God, I am pursuing you. It is a change in one's behavior in mind. It's not this, well, if I do it again, I'll just ask God forgiveness. I've done that a few times. And God's like, Dave. It's not a change in heart. It's the same behavior. We as Christians have this incredible access to God. You with me on that? Your relationship with Jesus Christ has given you direct access to him, like to to the throne room of God. I mean, to this idea where Jesus is there interceding on our behalf. Like, I mean, isn't that incredible?
and without trying to make this um, seem disrespectful, here's the beauty. God sent his son to us. As Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, what, should not perish, but, but, again, that's the good one, but have everlasting life. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, think of all these things that a God who knows we are sinful, we are wrong, says, I love you. Like, I want to deal with this. I want to have that hard conversation. Listen, I already know the sin. I already know the guilt. I already know the shame that you're feeling. I went and I paid for that. I want to have this intimate relationship with you because the sin uh, severs that intimacy that we have with God. And somehow the enemy tricks us into thinking, well, instead of coming to approach God and saying, listen, I have sinned. I want to get right with you. We feel embarrassed, ashamed, as if coming to God is almost like coming to our best friend who we're afraid is going to judge us. That they might not want a relationship with me anymore if I, if I tell them what's going on, which I'm sure is much of what King David faced. Instead of looking at a God who says, I have given you everything, and I'm giving you a choice. Let's get right, or you can suffer a little bit longer, but here's the joy of God. Whether voluntary or involuntary, God's going to get a hold of us. You experience that? Again, where can I go from your spirit? God, nowhere. Everywhere I turn, everywhere I go, you're there. He's in the car. He's in the bed. He's in the shower. He's everywhere. And at any moment, I have the choice to say, God, enough is enough. I want to come to you as a loving father to a child, and I want to talk to you. I need to confess that what I have done is wrong, and I need to repent. I need to get right with you. I want to experience that intimacy with you once more. I mean, David had that. Sin severed that. God restored it. I don't care how far into something you are, and if you're feeling extremely uncomfortable, search that right now. Ask why, all right? Don't be afraid to squirm in your seat. I'm not going to think there's something of you. But think about this for a minute. No matter where you are, God is saying, listen, come back. Not too far from him. Instead of spending so much time just looking at you and and poor me and, and feeling the guilt and the shame, Jesus Christ did not die so that we could just wallow in our shame. He died so that we could have life in abundance. Why his words are so incredible to me. I've come that they may have life and have life in abundance. And you know what that abundance life is? That's not only a fulfilled life here. It may not be in possessions and things, but that is peace. That is love. That is joy. That is hope. That is security in him. Here, but also our life with him to come one day. For salvation has got you a fulfilled life here and there. Sin will never satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy. Is your appetite and your desire for him greater 
than the appetite and hunger for the flesh. I know that the struggle is real. I'm not standing up here as some pastor like, oh, I don't face that anymore. Oh, man, sometimes I'm just like, God, my bones ache. God restores. Makes broken things whole. Sin had its reign in David's life long enough. I think the same thing can be true to us today. Isn't that the, I know I say this a lot, but again, um, I'm fascinated by Scripture because it is timeless. It's timeless. It's true then as it is true today. Psalm 51. David again, and in reaction to this uh, confrontation with Nathan, cries out again this heart of repentant prayer and and may even these, if you don't know what to pray, my friends, pray the scripture. These are some of the best words that you can ever say and recite. It says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me, and against you. And here's the thing, sin is not just against another person, sin is always against God. Against you, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Does God already know he's right? Yes, of course. He is truth. He is right. He is righteous. So we don't come to him with this, oh man, I forgot about that guy. He comes and he says, I discipline my children because I love them. Everything that God does, I mean, check this out again, as much as our relationship is pursuing God and pursuing a relationship with him, God continues to pursue you. There was no greater pursuit than what we celebrate in just a few days. God sending his son as a baby to us to restore what sin had broken. To provide his mercy and his grace in our time of need. And he continually offers that. I hope this encourages you. Don't view repentance as this destination, that once you get there, all is well. We are constantly in a state of repentance. I'm never where I should be in my relationship with God. That's why the scriptures in prayer in our relationship with Jesus Christ are so critical to our life that we continue to grow, we continue to invest, we continue to gain knowledge, just a wisdom, not just for knowledge's sake that I know more, but that I become more obedient, that I become more conformed into the image of his son. Not a produced for righteousness works sake, but out of a love and an adoration for him. John Stott in his book, Authentic Christianity, who said this, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture and must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. 
If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed He will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. This, my friends, is repentance. God takes control of the mind. Renewing of your mind, as it says in Romans. That we're not controlled by the patterns of Dave, <laughs> but controlled by the words of Almighty God. That when I am walking and I feel this nudge of the Spirit that, Dave, this is wrong, I seek his scripture and I say, yes, it is. God, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new, make me whole, restore me. Run hard after him. Christmas is coming. Hope you're ready. Christmas is coming. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. Friends, God's mercy is great. Amongst the many stories in the Old Testament, I don't know, in my opinion, if one is any greater. Uh, yes, David is there, but you look at the story of Noah. That's a hard story, too. I looked in the wickedness of people. Sent a great flood. Cleanse the earth. And here's the good button scripture. God saved eight. God didn't have to save anybody. But God saved eight. God said, I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have mercy. And God still offers mercy today. Do you come to him and get it? The thing about God is God doesn't withhold and say, well, once they're ready and they're seasoned, he said, it's here. I'm unchanging. I'm going to give you my son Jesus. Here's the good news in all of this. And while there are consequences, while sin is hard and sin is ugly and sin is wicked and it is wretched, yes. God is so much better. God is holy. God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. That God's grace is more, hear me, God's grace is more than sufficient to forgive us and to restore us. I love that. You feel broken. And maybe it's a repentance of a relationship with Jesus Christ and saying, I don't have a relationship with him. I haven't put my faith and trust in him. Calling out, God, I believe you are who you say you are and I'm, I'm tired of running enough. I want to yield and I want to accept you. Or maybe it's a repentance of, yeah, it is time to deal with this. It has had rain in my life for far too long. 
I am tired. God, let's deal with this that I might be restored, that my relationship, that communication, that joy and fellowship with you will be made whole once again. I crave it. I desire it. I need it. His grace is more than sufficient, more than sufficient to meet with us, to restore us, and to forgive us. We are broken people. I acknowledge that. That's why I get a big smile on my face when I realize that God restores me. Like, God saves me. God loves me. Just the right time, in just the right way, God deals with me. We have the greatest book in history. Tells you what you need to know. How you need to know it. And more importantly, who is behind it. A God who loves you. A God who will never leave you nor forsake you. A God just in the days of King David who said, I love you too much to let you continue. says to you and to you and to you and to you and to me I love you too much to let you continue on come to me and find forgiveness come to me find repentance come to me and find restoration the Lord sent Nathan to David the Lord sent Jesus to us this is Christmas my friends not only just Christmas, this is every day of the Christian faith. We live by faith and a love for Jesus. This is bonus material, but who needs to be here on Tuesday? Who do you know needs to hear the greatest story that's ever been told from the scriptures? I mean, we're going to read the scriptures, the great news of Jesus coming. Who do you need to know? Who do you know that needs to find that intimate fellowship with Jesus? When we repent, I have sinned against the Lord. When we repent, here's what God says, you're forgiven. See, repentance is two ways. It's the forgiven us and it's the forgiver God. Even in that brokenness, there's incredible fellowship of coming before God and saying, I need you. I think that's a good place to end. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and we cry out an incredible hallelujah. We say thank you for the love in which you display, in which you show, in which you extend throughout all time. The Father, your love is too great to let brokenness have its way. And you send a way for us to be restored, to be forgiven. There's love, incredible, incredible love in that. 
when we come before you, God, and in those times, be quick to seek forgiveness and be quick to change that mind and that behavior to one that pursues you, your word, prayer, time spent with you. So I pray as we just continue on a time of worship through our offering and through the music that you would speak to us, that we would spend this morning and we would deal with you if there is anything, God. And if not, would we celebrate the joy of our relationship with your son? Thank you again for the moments to open up the Bible and to unpack a story while difficult at the core, yes, speaks greater truth and love to what you want to do through redemptive history and in us here today. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave, thank you so much. What a great message. So Abraham, uh, Moses, Joseph, uh, David, uh, helping us have a context for Advent that God himself comes into the world to make it right. Uh, we, we're going into a, a time of offering now, and the offering is not just a time to receive money. It's not shaking down the people of God for money. Uh, it's shaping, shake, shake, shaking up the people of God uh, to draw near to him because God is calling each one of us to be his partners in his work in the world. So the offering is really our way of responding to the word proclaimed, the word prayed, the word sung. It's coming close to the Lord. God wants to draw us close to him. Uh, when, he, when we come close to him, uh, he... Uh, he uses everything about us uh, to bless other people. This is the amazing thing. By the way, uh, on this little tear-off sheet, if there's anything we can pray for you about, please uh, write that down. We take this long list of, of prayer requests every week, and our staff prays through it. And there's a whole team of people throughout the week who pray uh, for these things. Uh, also, um, I, I will hear from people inadvertently about an answer to prayer, but if you, if you see an answer to the prayer request you give us, send it that to us too, because then we, we, we love seeing those, because then we can thank God for the answered prayer. God answers prayers on, on his own timing and in his own way, and it's great for us to be able to see what he did in response to the request for prayer. Also, uh, after this service, if you want to go right around the corner there, there's this lovely prayer garden, and there'll be somebody there who will, will pray with you about anything that concerns you or anybody that you are concerned about. Um, so in this time of offering, bring you to him. Lord Jesus, uh, as we hear your word, as we receive your love, as we respond to your grace, may we learn to live in your grace and walk in your love one day at a time, both now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, right? God is with us. And we are gearing up for Christmas again one last time. Would you be praying about who needs to be with us here this Tuesday? It truly is the greatest story ever told. I believe it. I know Pastor Steve believes in it. I know our staff believes it. I know you believe it. Who else needs to believe it? Let's invite them in, right? It is really good news. Changed everything. And let me just give you this wonderful blessing from the scriptures. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go enjoy Christmas.